Hello everyone and welcome to the Greatest Games podcast on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me is Jonathan Wilson and with us today is Brian Oliver, sports journalist, having covered many international football tournaments, former sports editor of The Observer and author of the Commonwealth Games Extraordinary Stories Behind the Medals. Brian, a pleasure to have you on the pod. What a pleasure to be here, I hope. <laughs> Well, uh, you've picked an outstanding game, if I may say. We go back to June 2000 for the semi-final of the European Championships uh, that ended, of course, Italy nil, Netherlands nil, with Italy advancing on penalties. Brian, why have you chosen this game? Well, you've already got the score wrong. Italy won nil-nil. It's the only time time in history where I'd say that a team won a match nil-nil. I've picked it because... A, it was the era which, for me, being there live, featured the best international football I've ever seen, including in that tournament, the best single performance I've ever seen. And because everybody gets carried away by goals, and on this occasion, and I really remember it well because of something that we had in the Observer the weekend after, uh, it was time to really sort of doff your cap and say what a fantastic defensive performance that was. Even if there was a fair bit of luck involved, everybody needs a bit of luck. And the way Italy won that game was just absolutely sensational in my view. And always I like to be a bit different, so I chose it for, mm. for those reasons. This is very on brand for the blizzard, Jonathan. With the old, uh, the, the old monarchy. You know, goals are overrated. I mean, this must be tickling your fancy as well. <laughs> well, I did a piece uh, years ago for I think Four Four Two magazine on the ten greatest nil nils of all time, and, and I had this as the greatest one. So. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I, I mean, I remember I was working at One Football at the time, so I just started in journalism. So I was, you know, doing a minute by minute off the, off the telly. Um, and I, I sort of remember being, you know, utterly sort of absorbing, sort of thrilling mm. afternoon. So, I mean, because in low to nil-nil, there was a, an enormous amount happens. Um, I, I guess sort of more individual incidents before the red card, mm-hmm. but then just the, the 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 ebb and flow of the game in the second half and through extra time is is extraordinary. Mm. I mean, g- going into this tournament, if I remember correctly. For my, the favourites were Netherlands and France, and and they were in the same group, of course. It's, and and for me, Brian, it seemed quite obvious and easy to predict that they would meet again in the final. I, if I remember correctly, at the time, it was these were the two outstanding sides, and and surely they will contest the final as as they've been see, uh, uh, put together in the same group. Yeah, that would be true, but I wouldn't have seen it that way because I think France were clearly the best team, and although. It got a bit edgy at times. They had to win that tournament because they were definitely the best team. And that single best performance I'm talking about was their first game against Denmark in Bruges when they won 3-0. I've never seen anything like it. They absolutely thrashed Denmark and it could have been 6-0. And it was uh, about a, a year and a bit before that, if you remember, I'm sure Jonathan will, when France won... 2-0 2-0 at Wembley. It was only a friendly, but Anelka scored both goals. And in that game, again, France was so much better than England, and they were so good. I honestly don't think I've ever seen an international team live perform as well as they did in that period after winning the World Cup and before winning 
Euro 2000. And of course, unlike Spain later on, they sort of fell apart a bit after that. We didn't do very well in 2002. Mm. But just for that short while, you look at their lineup, they were absolutely fantastic. And I, I thought it was important that, um, well, during that game, I, 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 at the outset, I wanted Holland to win. But as it went on, I thought, I don't want Holland to win because Italy will give France a better game in the final than Holland will. Because mm. Holland was just, I don't know, a little bit flaky. There was, there was something Italy had that they lacked. We'd already been treated to a game between France and the Netherlands, of course, in the group stages. But I, I, I take the point. But I mean, that was a dead rubber by then, wasn't it? it Both was, teams yeah. were already through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, much changed teams. But I mean, of course, the thing with this Dutch side, and you know, we talked about this before, but it comes up again: mm. the mysterious managerial career of Frank Rijkaard, <laughs> which makes no sense on any level whatsoever. <laughs> that he basically got a series of jobs by dint of being Frank Rijkaard. Yeah. Um, and and. Yeah, the, the Netherlands performance here, okay, they win the group, they, they get to the semi-final, you can argue they were lucky in the semi-final, but it was at best a par performance for a host with, with that many great players. Mm-hmm. If he then goes off, leads Sparta Rotterdam to their first ever relegation, <laughs> somehow then you know, is about to go and manage the, the, the Dutch Antilles and is given the Barcelona job, at which he mysteriously excels <laughs> before it all falls apart and he disappears and is pretty much never heard of again. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, his only experience while getting the Dutch national job was running a lingerie shop in, in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. we, we, I, I mean, I understand a football career before that, obviously. Yeah, yeah, in terms yeah. of managerial experience. Uh-huh. I mean, the scene is so typically Dutch, one could say. But um, <laughs> it, it is it is quite remarkable, uh, it, it, indeed. I mean, they were the host nations, of course, for those who don't remember. It was the Netherlands and Belgium that were host nations. Uh, Belgium went out in the first round, so uh, despite winning their first game. But uh, the Netherlands started quite tentatively um, in this tournament. Unlike France, as you talk about them um, swatting aside Denmark, they are, I thought they were quite fortunate to win against the Czech Republic in their opening game. In fact, they would have been quite fortunate to get a draw if the, the match had finished nil-nil. The Czechs seemed to be pretty decent. So they didn't start particularly brightly, the Netherlands. No, but... That- doesn't that happen fairly often if you're host nation? You've got so many expectations. You've got every single person in the stadium wearing orange. You've got, you've got a, I don't know how to put it exactly, but the there's a lot of pressure on. And as long as you don't lose your first game, you're generally okay. And I'm sure that will happen in this tournament about to start. A lot of teams will be expected to win. They'll probably draw, and then they'll settle down and get on with it. I mean, we saw that in Euro '96, didn't we? So the previous Euros, we saw that with England drawing with Switzerland in the Mm. first game. So, um, I mean, yeah, that that first game, they they win it one nil with a last minute penalty from Frank de Boer. Yeah, which obviously goes on to become very significant. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, more on his penalty taking later. Yeah, Um, and and, I mean the Dutch, they they did have a great squad of players in in this tournament obviously France did as well and, and when they played in that dead rubber it was an entertaining game I mean the, the score is you know Dugary and Trezeguet scored for, for France Cliver Frank de Boer again and, and Zenden but they were they were two sides that could entertain and 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 could as I say go on and do something in this tournament and and it, Jonathan what were your feelings then when the Netherlands beat France in the group 
did you think they would a slight psychological advantage, or did you? Think- no, because I think they they picked a much stronger side. I think France rested a lot of players, and the Dutch didn't. Which I I tend to think resting players in the third group game tends to be a daft idea. Mm. Uh, I think you, know, you uh, I think it's in year two thousand and eight. Uh, all four teams who topped their group knew they topped their group going into the final game because it was done on head to head, not on goal difference then. And I think three of them then lose in the quarter final, and the other one is Spain who drew but won on penalties, which was the only game he didn't win in that tournament. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a, in, a, in a tournament of only six games, resting players in your third group game, I think can be can be problematic. So I just didn't really place too much stock on that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that, that three team. I guess the, the only difference was, was who you played in the next round. Mm-hmm. And the Dutch played Yugoslavia, and that was the first game when they actually looked uh, yeah. a potential winner. And Yugoslavs had a funny group. You know, they had that uh, draw against Slovenia uh, when they'd been three 0 down and had uh, Mikhailovic sent off. So the Yugoslavs were very sort of uh, hot and cold. But you know, to to, to win that six one and Clive getting a hat trick, you thought, yeah, this this is a, a proper a proper Dutch team, albeit a Dutch team playing a sort of four four two, which you wouldn't expect from them. Uh, which I guess was a way of of getting getting Bergkamp and Clive in the side. Mm-hmm. Ben Overmars on one flank and Zenden obviously slightly tucked in, but but mm. as a left side of midfielder. Yeah, still quite an attacking formation though. But yeah, six one, you can't really argue with too much. France on, on the other hand, uh, Brian, they they beat Spain two one, um, but the, 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 perhaps the more memorable game for them in the, in the knockouts was their two one win against Portugal in the semi final. We saw a golden goal from Zidane, who we, we've we've come to know as as. Uh, yeah, but most of the time keeping a cool head, although that's not always the case. But in that moment, he kept a very cool head to tuck away the penalty in the 117th minute to win it after it all got a bit bad-tempered. And that was quite an outstanding game in the tournament, really for that. Yeah, well, um, just to go off piece slightly here, what I remember all this exceptionally well because there was a company called Sportel. Do you remember that, Jonathan? That yeah. bought up loads of websites and it was it was a Belgian media company. It, it will shock you to learn I briefly worked for them. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't, actually. But um, they, I don't know quite what went on, but they had absolutely bundles of tickets for Euro 2000. And I was at the Observer at the time, and basically anybody on the sports department said, oh, do you fancy that one? Fancy going to Eindhoven? What about Bruce? Ring up Sportal, and okay, those are tickets. And we could go to anything except for the final. So I uh, took up the offer, took a couple of days off and went to both the semis uh, just as a punter or a free punter. And um, that, that game, uh, the, the France-Portugal game, I remember particularly the arguing over the penalty, which was just ridiculous. If, if you had the scrutiny of nowadays on a decision like that. Well, it was it was a handball and he, I'm sure it was deliberate and he was keeping the ball out of the goal. And uh, he, he went nuts and the whole team went nuts at the end. I suppose the element of the goal and goal was what made them more angry because they didn't have a chance to go and equalize. Mm. But it was definitely a fair result, very exciting. And everybody headed off to Amsterdam thinking, well, that was a good one and tomorrow will be even better. And it worked to me, it worked out that way, but to most people, it didn't. What What was it? You obviously attended the semi-final, as you say. 
um, from the Dutch. What was how was the, the tournament then building up to the semi final in the Netherlands? I mean, I could imagine after a six one win in in the quarter final, they must think right, we're on for this. It must it must have been incredibly exciting if you're a if you're a fan of the Dutch side. Well, as a um, I've been a Portsmouth supporter for fifty something years, and I can tell you a game that was just like it was the two thousand and ten FA Cup semi final Spurs <laughs> against Pompey on the tube, and they were so cocky, all these Spurs fans <laughs> talking about how they were going to win four nil and what they're going to do on the day of the final, blah blah blah. And it was not quite to that extent, but everybody in Holland sort of knew they were going to win. And when you get to the stadium, and probably seven-eighths of the stadium is completely orange, and they really belted out the national anthem, and you just sense that they sort of almost had a sense of entitlement that they were going to the final and that stuff, mm. and, uh, which is partly why I enjoyed the game so much. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've talked a bit about the Dutch there, Jonathan. I mean, Dino's off Italy, uh, meanwhile. As the tournament's going, they're just going about their business in their their lovely Kappa kit, and um, they beat <laughs> Turkey um, and uh, the host Belgium and Sweden to top their group. Again, not that much from recollection was being said, despite them having some extremely good players for crying. Yeah, out I about. think they'd they'd had quite a scratchy build up, hadn't they? And I mm. think uh, there's a bit of uh, some doubts about Zoff. Um, I think he was seen as being quite old school as a manager. Uh, I think the fact they were playing with a with a back five, there there were some some doubts about that, um, but yeah, it was a a sort of the progress of a semi final was perfectly Italian. They they just scored two goals in every game. Mm. It wasn't particularly flashy. It wasn't particularly exciting. It didn't really catch the eye, uh, but they were very efficient. They were very good at it. Mm-hmm. And you know the extraordinary thing about this yeah you know, the, 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 the semi final is the fact that uh, Totti doesn't start. Mm. Uh, that he preferred Fiore to Totti. I, I guess if you're playing a three-man midfield, if you have Totti there, it's, it's very much a two and a one, uh, whereas this is more was more of a three with Albertini at the back of it. Uh, but yeah, they they were they 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 were just very very solid. But oh, yeah, Del Piero and Zaghi Totti up front, Del Vecchio, mm-hmm. they had forwards who who could get them goals. Yeah, and of course, uh, I mean we've we've ticked the Frank Rijkaard box already. I believe Jonathan that. It was this summer that Del Piero gave you a lesson on how to take free kicks, was it? No, it was a previous summer. Oh, was uh, it really? Summer. Okay, well, yeah, we won't talk it, about it, that then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it, was, it would have been autumn of previous year because it was, it was to play test the uh, the official ball of Euro 2000. Oh, I see. The Adidas to Esther Silverstream. Mm. And yes, I, I I scored a volley past Van der Sar and uh-huh. uh, scored a free kick under instruction from Del Piero and he patted me on the shoulder and called me Il Maestro. And does he still call you that if you ever see him? I mean, literally every time I've met him, he's called me that, which yeah. is to say, never since. <laughs> well, on which point, actually, can I make a little diversion here? Please, you just mentioned somebody. Van der Sar. Hmm. How the hell in 2011, when Van der Sar left Manchester United and they won the league and got to the European Cup final, did the Football Writers Association make Scott Parker Footballer of the Year? Hmm. Tell me that. It had to be Van der Sar. Look at what he did throughout his career. Mm. Look how well he played for Manchester United. Look how many trophies he won. Yeah. There's so many West Ham fans in the FWA. They all start <laughs> chuntering on about it. How the hell did they come up with that? 
I can't believe it's taking you what fifteen minutes twenty five seconds to get to that. <laughs> no, no. Normally, your your complaints of West Ham bias and the FWA kind of. Mm. So within three minutes of meeting you, uh, but, I mean, but, uh, who was the last goalkeeper to win that? Was was it Troutman? I know Southall. But South Southall won the PFA, didn't he? I don't think he ever won the the FWA. Right. I, I think Bert Troutman's like the only one to do it. No, that's no excuse. Yeah. Come on, give us the, give us the reason for Scott Parker winning it. I can, I'm not a member of the FWA. Don't, don't have a go at me. Not yeah. that, uh, I don't I even mean, get a vote. Yeah. <laughs> come, think, on, come on, Marcus, bring us back on peace. Well, I was just saying that, it, it, you know, either one, it's sort of past Fulham against future Fulham. So either way, that I think that was probably what hindered the, hinged the vote. Um, I think it's a good time to take a break, gentlemen. And after that, we will talk about the match itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard. Now then, um, let's get to the match, uh, gentlemen. Um, as we say, both sides, you look at the players um, who started this game, Brian. I mean, they're the vast majority of household names. Absolutely incredible. Um, but despite this, uh, I suppose with home advantage, the Dutch were the favourites for this game. They started on the front foot as well, and that would have probably got the crowd going straight from the off. Yeah, absolutely. The crowd was going, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think I've ever heard a louder anthem sung in any game than the Dutch for that one. And Italy, to their credit, did make a bit of noise, but uh, there's absolutely no question that Holland were the favourites. And they did start very well. Could have scored, what, one or two in the first half, but they didn't. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that first quarter of an hour, I mean, there's the Bergkamp hits a post after a quarter of an hour, but there's sort of half a dozen, uh, I'm not sure you'd call them chances before that, but chances of a chance, you know, mm. where the ball played dangerously across the top of the box or somebody almost getting in position to slide a pass through. Uh, it, you know, I, I, I sat down to watch the, the highlights yesterday and actually sort of ended up just watching the whole game because it was such a sort of gripping game. And there's an extraordinary amount happens in that first 15 minutes. And then Bergkamp, uh, just that little little shimmy past Juliano, shot with the outside of his foot. And, you know, half an inch to the right, and that's a goal. But it hits the post, comes straight back towards him. So they're, they're incredibly close to, to taking the lead early on. And it, it's, yeah, it's astonishing sort of series of attacks. Mm. Yeah, I think, just... actually, I can't, I'm not 100% sure. I think that was one of those ones where you can actually hear it hit the post. Because the whole stadium goes quiet for sort of a few nanoseconds when they think it's going in. And you can clearly hear that stuff. I like those ones that hit the post. Much better than the ones that you can't hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, as I say, that it was sort of wave after wave of Dutch pressure. Maybe, as you say, Jonathan, sort of chances. And, and, and looking back on this game, I mean, I know it was only one year after the 90s, if you see what I mean, but it was quite rough. I mean, there was a lot of challenges that nowadays would have been. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I, th I sort of agree with Brian that I, th I think this is the best international tournament I've ever seen. And now, obviously, it's a different experience. I was watching it on TV. I wasn't there, and and I've always sort of wondered: Do I, in the same way that I think '82 was the best World Cup because it was my first one, do I sort of favour this tournament because this was the first time I worked on, albeit mm -hmm. from from afar? But I think it's sort of it's it is that that sort of uh, sweet spot of yeah 
the the physicality of old football, the football I grew up with. I guess mm-hmm. younger people probably don't, you know, don't don't miss that in the way that I do. Um, but with a sort of modern sensibility in terms of tactics, in terms of uh, attacking flair, um, I think this is the first tournament where four two three one really becomes a a widely used formation. And I think at this stage, the great advantage of that is is it allows dribblers back into the game. Anyway, you, know, you can't really risk a dribbler in a four four two because if you leave your position or you get dispossessed, there's a big hole. Whereas a four two three one, you've got the two deep lying centre midfielders, which gives you that protection. And you know, I remember Alex Ferguson talking about this after United had played Deportivo twice, which would have been, what, 2003-4? So they played him four times in the season. They played him in the yeah. group and they played him in the in the knockout. Um, and you know, I think even this Dutch 4-4-2 is almost a 4-2-3-1 because Bergkamp obviously does play deeper than Clivert and Zender and Overmars are advanced and Koku and Davids are slightly deeper. So it's a sort of... Yeah, so many, many, so many formations are. It is a sort of hybrid, but certainly I think France were playing an obvious four-two-three-one. I think Spain were, and that France-Spain game, that quarter-final, was a really, really good game. Mm-hmm. Um, incredibly dramatic match. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think the standard of football in this tournament, the spectacle of it, was was as good as anything I, I've seen. Yeah, and of course it was only a sixteen-team tournament, so you really had the cream of the crop in Europe playing, um, Brian, and. And the quality on show in this match was was quite something. Um, it, it, I suppose Italy did fulfil their traditional stereotype of sort of defensive and and the dark arts and so on. And and there was, as I say, a fair few foul. I mean, Juliano got booked for a proper professional foul on Mark Overmars in that first half. And uh, quite funnily, Zenden gets booked for diving. But Zenden's the man who's fouled by Zambrotta, who gets the second yellow in the 34th minute. And when Italy are down to 10 men, the Dutch must think, oh, well, this is a matter of time then until we until we find the net. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's going back to the sort of pre-match build-up, the first 15 minutes, then you get a red card. So you've got, it's almost as if there's an exponential rise in home expectation, which mm. again is why it's so dramatic. They just think it's inevitable that they're going to score, that they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing, what, what Jonathan was saying there about the, the quality of the tournament, how many tournaments have there been since when you look at it and you think, well, that international team is the best team in the world and no club side could, could beat that international mm-hmm. team? Well, nowadays, a good, a good club side is going to beat pretty much any international side in my view and that's been oh, easily, quite easily, a long yeah. time but I'm not sure that would have, that, that Italy team well that Italy team would have done pretty well in the Champions League I reckon mm-hmm. and France time. certainly would have done wouldn't they oh, so France would have won it yeah. yeah I'm sure they would because the, the other figure here is mm-hmm. uh, a little test for you if I say to you Marcus Merck what are the first words that come into your head uh, chest hair Okay, mm-hmm. Brian. No, a pass. What, 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 this, this, I don't know. Oh why, no, I've but... got my referees mixed up. I'm thinking of um, is it Marcus? I'm maybe thinking of uh, somebody else there. That's poor of me. Sorry. You got a good introduction from the German commentator because I I watched it a day or two ago. That's all I can remember. And what is the German comment? Because it's a German one I watched. I don't know. He says okay. in German. So the the words that that that, that um. Always, every time I hear Marcus Merck, all I think of is 
the dentist from Kaiserslautern. And I, I and yeah, so it just must always have been mentioned in commentary that there was just sort of a yeah, Marcus Merck, the, the, the dentist from Kaiserslautern. And this German commentary, the first thing they say is Marcus Merck, der Zahnast aus Kaiserslautern. Uh, so I've since looked him up, and it, it turns out he's a he's a very devout Christian. He does a lot of charitable work in India now. Wow. So fair play to him. But he he's, he only he didn't stop practicing in the dentist until two thousand and five. Oh, wow. so yeah, he. I, but anyway, he, I think he has a really good game. Yeah. Um, the, the two yellow cards for Zambrotta, both of Thousand Zenden, are both clearly yellow cards. Yeah. I think he's right to book Zenden for diving. Mm-hmm. It's there probably is a little bit of contact, but Zenden clearly is looking for it and clearly makes the most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a game that could easily have sort of spilled over. I think he kept a very, very tight rein on. I, I... Yeah, well, he he gave. I mean, it's a fairly bold call to make when when Nesta um, fouls Cliver for for the penalty. Oh, by the way, it was Andres Frisk was the referee. I was thinking. Oh, okay. Chester. Yeah, yeah. Forgive me. Um, but yeah, Nesta obviously holds Cliver, and you can see the the pull of the shirt, Brian and. And so on, but especially back then, as the player didn't go down, it's still a little bit of the case now. But it was a bold call. But would you say it was the right one for the penalty? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I'd say one of the highlights was the outcome of that penalty <laughs> when Toldo celebrates as yeah. if he's just scored the winner in <laughs> in gold goal time. Fantastic! I've never seen a goalkeeper leaping around like that. Quite yeah, you see the size of the guy when he leaps like that. You think, blimey, that must have been quite intimidating. When going up to to take a penalty, you think to yourself, "Well, flipping heck, actually, this. I mean, it's not fifty fifty, of course, but for the player who's about to take the penalty, must think, yeah, I'm going to have to do something good to stick it past him.' But Toldo also, I I sort of forgotten this about him. I, in my head, he was sort of one of the sort of smaller slider keepers, but he's not. He's massive. Yeah, huge. And he's got a really dismissive way of catching crosses. Yes, he does. It, it sort of just makes it look like the mm. the easiest thing in the world. Like there's no players around him. <laughs> Um, it's almost like you know when when uh, when you're playing cricket and you're sort of passing the ball back to the bowler and some you know <laughs> mid off tosses to the bowler and they're sort of not even looking so just hand up and the ball sort of sticks and it's almost like that it's sort of a very mm. casual pluck it out the air yeah. and I guess it's partly because he's so tall he doesn't have to jump to do it. Mm. I also yeah. think in that celebration, in a weird way, it sort of transmitted itself to the supporters because Italy supporters equally celebrated that stage as if mm. they just scored a goal. Yeah, and that they got their momentum going as well as the game wore on. And but it wasn't was... really until at least an hour had gone before you actually really thought, "Christ, this is one of those games where it doesn't matter what Holland do, they're not yeah. going to get the goal." Yeah, but it's funny though when it's talking about that that the way they celebrated that penalty. So you're right that they're still down to ten men. It's still the first half. They're still under pressure. You would think that. That penalty save would be um, it would be more of a, a relief of oh all right we've still got we've still got them going here but as you say that that gave them quite the the impetus to kind of go on and into I the... think there's an argument so the first sort of fifteen twenty minutes of the second half Italy actually have more dangerous yeah. side yeah it's almost if it, the the messes with the Dutch heads that they they yeah they can't just play their natural game they're sort of overthinking it because they sort of think well there's got to be space here mm-hmm. but of course there's not because Italy are sitting so deep. Was it, wasn't it in the first half, I, I I could be wrong, wasn't it the first half when they put up a long ball and Del Vecchio nearly scores? Second half. Second half, is it? Well, and there's that deflected Fiore shot that mm-hmm. uh, Van Zarm makes. I mean, I think it's, a, it's almost a hard save because the deflection takes the pace off it, so he's mm-hmm. got to sort of slightly hang 
and push it wide. Uh-huh. But they have, yeah, it's, I mean, not brilliant chances, but two or three decent chances yeah. in, in that first half of the second half. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Del Vecchio did have a chance to, it wasn't a glaring chance, but he, he certainly had a chance he could have won it, which would have been a real kind of smash and grab job. But uh, Yeah, that would have killed the drama. I'm glad that they won 0-0 <laughs> rather than 1-0. <laughs> um, and of course, in, in the second half, again, the Dutch get a penalty. Edgar Davids runs through, wins a penalty. Now, this... Really, would... really clumsy foul. Very clumsy foul from Juliano. Now, this is where I might question Mr. Merck. Juliano's already on a booking. Should he have received... Ah, uh, his... yeah, yeah. You see, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, he should have. Yeah, and and I mean, down to nine men. I mean, I know they had some amazing defenders, and they put in a hell of a performance. But even that might have been out of reach for them. But he wasn't sent off. The penalty was given, and I remember watching the game, Brian, and and the the relief around the stadium of ah, oh, finally, here we go. We've been given another gift, and it and of course it came back off the post. Clivert's effort. Yeah. Reminded me of that famous Boxing Day to all at Stamford Bridge when Kerry Dixon missed two penalties for Chelsea against Portsmouth. But better not go into that. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I think it was probably when they missed the second one Mm. that you really did think, this is it. It, it, It's just sort of predetermined. They are not going to score no matter what. And I think... Again, you know, it was a while ago and I haven't watched the whole thing again, but I've got an impression that Nesta just gets better and better as the game goes on. Mm-hmm. And Cannavaro did her. The goalkeeper was great all the way through. They had fantastic fullbacks. They just... They, they were just sensational. Yeah, I mean, if you are going to have to defend... Well, it's not a lead. Just defend um, to penalties yeah, your existence exactly. Then you probably would choose Nesta, Uliana, Maldini, and Cannavaro with Toldo behind you and maybe Albertini in front. Jonathan, would you say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess they had the advantage that um, you know Maldini's such a sort of versatile footballer that although he begins the game as a wing back, he sort of ends it as a almost as, a, as this is going to sound ridiculous, but almost as a left-sided centre-back in a four-man central defence. And and then you have yeah, Albertini sitting in front, Di Biagio, you know, a great sort of shuttling up and down midfielder who can just sort of, I mean, he ends up um, uh, stopping Zenden. And then Fiore has to take on Overmars, which I think is the hardest job. But, of course, he's got Maldini behind him. So, again, if you want somebody sort of covering you, protecting you, Maldini's the absolute perfect person to do it. Yeah, interesting that some of the changes Italy made in in that second half, they they brought on Del Vecchio for Inzaghi. You think, well, okay, that's you know Inzaghi probably run himself ragged. They took well, off... and also just have to have more of a target man, somebody who can hold the ball up rather than and Inzaghi yeah. for all his gifts, mm-hmm. he's he's not the person you want in this situation because he's just going to be caught offside. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, that, that, yeah, that play on the shoulder is great mm. uh, if you're. You know, in, in a normal game, but here where mm-hmm. there are times you have to lump it and somebody just hold it up. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he's he's not the best player. That, that, that you know, Del Vecchio 
Dan Aiko's the first up, isn't it? 60, 67 so, so minutes, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but they don't um, bring on another defender until the seventy seventh minute when Albertini goes off, and, and yeah, and when Fiore goes off, it's Totti they bring on. Yeah, so the the substitutions, perhaps not what one may have thought uh, when looking back. It certainly surprised me slightly um, looking back at it, but obviously had the desired effect, and we go into it. Well, I guess the idea is that you you continue to offer some kind of threat that you, yeah, true, you, yeah, you don't want to be just camped in your half, mm-hmm. and especially when you you, know, you look at the Dutch defence, and you've got Frank de Boer who can pretty much play anywhere on the pitch. Mm. So if you're not tying him up in his own half, he's going to just be playing as a midfielder. You've got Van Bronckhorst, who is you know, obviously great going forward. Even Stam was perfectly capable of wandering forward. A very good strike for a boy. He took two or three free kicks in this game. Um, and Paul Bosfeld, the right back, who is also a midfielder playing out of position. So uh, I can see why you would want to try and occupy them as, as far up the pitch as possible. Mm. Um, nil-nil after 90 minutes and then into extra time Brian and of course that ended nil-nil as well when it went to penalties did you think Italy have got this? Oh certain yeah absolutely certain yeah because because as I'm saying it just it built up from around about an hour in and you just kept thinking more and more and more that little group of fans in the stadium is going to be going nuts and all this lot are going to be crying and it just it just had to be that way, sort of. Yeah, I mean, but it's funny actually. But both sides have poor records with penalty shootouts. Going into this match, neither side had won a penalty shootout. Italy had lost four, the Dutch had lost three, and and I suppose you know the difference. Of course, Italy had been effectively playing for penalties for for most of the match. Obviously, the Dutch would have been disappointed. But I mean, even currently, the Dutch have won two out of seven penalty shootouts. Italy have won four out of eleven, and. Those who are wondering, England have won three out of nine, but it, it was so. It would have been the first penalty shootout win, Jonathan, for one of these sides, and and, and of course, it, it, yeah. It was like, I, I suspect that back then that was less of a thing because your penalties are still. I'm not going. Don't want to say they're relatively new because obviously they're not, but you know, the, the, you know those those statues. Teams have only been involved in three mm. or four, so there wasn't really time. Even if he'd lost all three of them, or all four of them. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that's enough history to sort of think. Do you not oh think God, that? we're we're doomed. We. But with England, though, I mean, England after Euro '96, it was maybe because it was to the Germans again. But it was our oh, penalties, and then '98 World Cup, it was our oh, penalties. Whereas the Dutch in was it '92, and then in '98 themselves, and Italy in '98. So they'd both been eliminated on penalties in '98. Yeah, I mean, maybe England by '98, but I think the other problem in '98 was the players England had left on the pitch at the end of the Argentina game were not players I'd really want taking penalties for me. Mm. Yeah, you know, when you end up with David Batty taking a penalty with the best one in the world, that's that's <laughs> less than ideal. Yeah. Well then I mean Luigi Di Biagio, he stepped up to take the first penalty. Well it, it is interesting who takes the Italian penalties because they're they're not the players yeah. I mean Totti obviously. But, well, but Di Biagio Pizzotto and Maldini. But Di Biagio missed in France ninety eight, which which He missed was... a crucial one, hadn't he? He missed the last one, yeah. He did, yeah. But he steps up and, and tucked it top corner, which Tell you what, fair play to him. You know, if you're going to get over, if you're going to exercise your demons, that's how to do it. They um, won it after two penalties, haven't they? Really? Yeah. Well, and and again, that goes down. You go back to Toldo again. I mean, yes, in this day and age, he would have been penalised for coming off his line, but all goalkeepers did that back then. But if you think of the size of the guy, I mean, that penalty, um, Brian, that Frank De Boer takes, where Toldo leaps forward. I mean, it, it, 
he just seemed absolutely impenetrable when he saved that penalty. Yeah, yeah. well, you can imagine how much confidence he had for what happened throughout the game mm. compared to Van der Sar, who probably knew that in a few years' time it was going to be overlooked for the football of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 uh, his shoulders were sunk, weren't they, throughout that comp- penalty competition? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a terrible, it's a terrible penalty from De Boer. I mean, he's mm. clearly mentally shot. If you compare that to the penalty he takes against the Czechs in the, in, in the first group game or the penalty taken earlier in this game, because the penalty earlier in this game it's. I mean, it's. It's, it's a good not save. A, it's not a bad height for for Toldo, but it's it's not far from a corner. Toldo mm. has some. Yeah, he's a good save, and a shorter goalkeeper might not have made it. Mm. Yeah, and then you said about the Italian takers. I mean, Pasotto, you perhaps wouldn't have had to him down as a taker. No, you Got, wouldn't. Yeah. I'm sure you wouldn't. But uh-huh. but he sticks it away. Very confident. With yeah. yeah, yeah. And I've never been so sure of um, a penalty being missed when Yapstam. Yeah, you know, runs back. I remember at the time going, "This is over the bar." Yeah, and not just the fact he was going to miss, but the way he was going to miss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in the same way that when you know the Riquelme penalty for Villarreal against Arsenal in two thousand six, I knew he just wasn't going to hit it very hard. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 yeah. So in my head was, if Lehman goes the right way, he saves it. Mm-hmm. Here was Tolder can do what he wants here. This is <laughs> this is not going to go anywhere near the goal. But again, that that Toldo celebration when Stam hits it over the bar. The way Toldo celebrates, and then Totti suddenly sort of trots up, doesn't he, with his headband on, looking like a million quid, and then does a penenka and celebrates as if he's won the match. I mean, Brian, the Italians, bearing in mind, well, fair, fair enough, Jonathan, I understand whether the, their previous losses uh, would have had an effect or not, but they had lost four penalty shootouts, so it's not like the Germans. They seem to be relishing every kick that they were taking or, or saving. That's why I like to think that they won nil-nil, because they knew that all they had to do was see out the match. I don't know why, but they just knew they were going to win that penalty shootout. As soon as they got to the end of the extra time, yeah. that was it. And, that, and it, it certainly looked that way by the way they took them. Yeah. Um, Clivert then scored and, and Maldini it was saved, actually. So Van der Sar um, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a late claim for the Football Writers Player of the Year um, years later. But then Bosfeldt was saved and, and, and Toldo, it was actually quite fitting that he was the one to, to make the save, uh, that, that he was the hero. And that big frame of his was leaping around in celebration again, Brian. It was, yeah. He was he was the headline man and you needed one to focus on. And it was appropriate that a goalkeeper was the manager, but it was all of the defence. It was all of the team. Uh, well, I tell you what I remember about that is that a few days afterwards, probably went back on the overnight train, and uh, I don't know if you remember a writer called Joe McGuinness who wrote that book called The Miracle of Castel de Sangro, but he mainly wrote about American politics and dawn script, and he was a really quite heavyweight writer who's not with us anymore, and we had him as a columnist in The Observer, and uh, for the weekend of the final, he sent in a very ho-hum article about something or other that was so boring, I can't remember what it was. And I got in touch and said, look, you were there when when Italy won that game. Can't you write about the beauty of defensive football or something like that? And he wrote a fantastic column, which is still online now. 
And I don't remember this because I wasn't in England, but I'll just read you a little bit of what he said because there must have been a lot of whinging on the BBC. <laughs> he said it was in these very pages only a week ago that the word cowardly was used to describe this Italy team. Yes, love is blind, whether for England or for Orange, but it need not give rise to infected. Cowardice does not triumph over a host team fresh from scoring six goals in their previous game. Cowardice does not enable a squad to hold scoreless the tournament co-favourites while playing a man down for 90 minutes. It was appalling to hear Barry Davis, Trevor Brooking and Alan Hansen raving on about how Italy not only did not deserve to win, but how their very existence as a national side threatened to destroy the game as we know it. Just who are the cowards, chaps? Toldo, Nesta, Cannavaro, Maldini, Giuliano, Conte, Albertini? For the final, try getting your heads out of the sand and take note of what is actually happening on the field instead of pretending you're seeing what you wish you could see, which I think was exceptionally well put. Indeed, indeed. I think we'll leave it there. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, Brian, pleasure to have you uh, on the pod. And thanks very much um, for, for helping us revisit the, that great game. Um, for, so for more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Um, we'll be back next week. From an, uh, with, with another great game from the history of football 